If you have a Bible with you, turn to Acts chapter 17. As I've said just about every single Sunday in this series, throughout the series of the early church, we've been talking about how the early church was empowered by the Holy Spirit, given the gifts necessary to reach their community with the lost, with the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had a passion to share the gospel frequently and with everyone, and they did just about everything together. They worshiped together. They prayed together. They saw healing together. They endured persecution together. We've also talked about how they had to have a good theology. They had to have a good doctrine. They had to be dedicated to prayer, and they were focused on making disciples. And while we've been studying the book of Acts, I've mentioned it a few Sundays. I've not mentioned it a few Sundays, but I've been challenging you, encouraging you to read along throughout the week what we go through on Sunday morning. So last week it was chapter 16, and I hope that if you've been taking on this challenge, that you read through chapter 16 once, twice, maybe a couple times this week, um, to, as we introduced it last week, and you had an opportunity to go into the Word deeper. This week, you have your work cut out for you if you've taken this challenge. Uh, if you are actually reading along and taking this, taking my word for it, taking this as an introduction to the passages that we go through and you're reading and studying all of the things that we don't have time to talk about here, you have a lot of things to read throughout this week. And that's because we're looking at the second and third missionary journeys of Paul. Now we're about halfway through the second missionary journey. We'll go through about halfway towards the end of the third missionary journey before Paul makes his last uh, journey towards Rome. But what this looks like for you this week is Acts chapter 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, and 23. So there's seven. There's seven chapters. And when, when this was coming to my mind about a year ago when I was planning out uh, what 2023 would look like, I, I thought to myself, that's a lot. That's a lot of chapters to go through in one week, in one sermon, let alone an entire week. And it wasn't until this past week that I, I got another challenge for you, another uh, thing that I want to encourage you to do. Uh, we'll get to that later. But for right now, I was looking at it. I'm like, there has to be a purpose behind this. And maybe God will just change things, like when we get there, and then I won't have to worry about it. Uh, he didn't. Uh, so we, you know, we're just going to keep on going. I think what God is trying to do is he's trying to slowly let us know that this is a lifestyle, it's not a moment. It's very easy to read through one chapter and then uh, on one day during your week and then not read it for the rest of the week. To go through your own Bible studies, to go through your own devotions, or to just simply not read. But this week, you've got seven days until we meet again, including today. You've got seven days and you've got seven chapters. I think what God is trying to do is to show you that this is a lifestyle that we're following. It's not just a moment. It's not just a Sunday morning. It's not just a Wednesday night. It's not just an event here and there. It's every day. So I encourage you, read one chapter every day this week. Start with verse seven, or chapter 17 today, and then go throughout the week. Read all of these amazing things that happens in Paul's life that we just simply can't talk about here 
Not because it's bad, not because it's insignificant, but because we just don't have the time. But this is a lifestyle, and I want you to see that. The Word of, the word of God should be in your life daily if it isn't already. But we are going to cover bits and pieces of just a couple of those chapters. We'll not be uh, we won't touch some of the chapters in here. Uh, we've got about two that we're going to touch on a few things in them. But um, that's why it's so important for you to read because there's so much more to the story than what you're even going to be getting this morning. But if you would look with me to Acts chapter 17, we're going to start in verse 16. While Paul was waiting for them in Athens, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned with the synagogue, with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. A, a group of, you know, you just fill in their own pronunciations for those words, philosophers, began to debate with them. Some of them were saying, what is this babbler trying to say? He remarked, it seems to be advocating for foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him in the meeting with Aeropagus, where he said to them, may we know this new teaching is that you are, that is you are presenting. You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears. and We would like to know what they mean. All of the Athenians and the or foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and I looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, To an unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing that you worship. And this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything is it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man, he made all the nations that should inhabit the whole earth. And he marked their appointed times in history and the boundaries of their lands. God did this so that they would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from any one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine image is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by human design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands that all people everywhere to repent for he has he has set a day where he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed he has given proof to this to everyone by raising him from the dead when they heard about the resurrection of the dead some of them sneered but others we others said we want to hear you again on this subject at that paul left the council some of the people began became followers of paul and believed among them was Dionysus, a member of the Areopagus, also a woman named Damaris, and a number of others. If you would pray with me. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for this opportunity that we get to just hear your word, to experience your presence right now. Lord, I pray that as you, as you speak through me, as you always do, Lord, I pray that you open up our hearts to receive your message. 
Lord, I pray that you just take over this place. You take over this message. That, Lord, no one hears what I have to say and my thoughts and my, my opinions on things, but they hear the truth of what you are speaking to them currently. Lord, as I prayed for every single person, every single seat, every single person that was going to walk through these doors, Lord, I know that you're going to pour out your presence on them. You're going to help them hear from you today. You're going to help them feel you today. And Lord, I pray that as they leave, they feel encouraged, they feel better equipped, they have some confidence and some faith in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So in chapter 17, what we find is that Paul, at, at the very beginning, takes a few stops before he gets to Athens. He goes to Thessalonica and Berea, but both places he ultimately gets run out of. He gets run out of both of them. He gets run out of Thessalonica, goes to Berea. People from uh, the Thessalonian church come, and they run him out of Berea too, and then he ends up in Athens. Now, in Athens, uh, in this particular thing, we see more of a clear-cut strategy of how Paul reached so many people, how he connected with people and ultimately led them to be saved, led them to Christ. Now, in this, he was really imitating what Jesus did. Throughout Jesus' life, you'll see the same type of strategy being taught over and over and over again. So Paul is really imitating Jesus. And we'll talk about how Jesus reached people later in the year. But for right now, uh, we're just going to talk about Paul. What Paul first does is he walks around Athens. And he sees all the idols and all the gods that they worship. Now, if you think back to history class from when you're in high school or in junior high or even just watching any type of Greek mythology type of movie, you know that there's a lot of Greek gods and goddesses. There's a lot of different ones like uh, Zeus, right? You've probably heard of Zeus before or Poseidon or, you know, all of those. They had so many gods and they believed in all of them. And as Paul is walking around, he's seeing altars made to all of these different gods that they had. And for Paul, he knows that this is going to be a difficult task because they're polytheistic. They believe in many gods. Whereas us, we, we believe in one God, the one true God. So what happens is he knows that if he starts talking about our God, it'd be very easy for them to just say, well, you know, we'll just add him. We'll, we'll build an altar, we'll add him to, and then we'll, we'll make sure that we're praying to all the gods that we know about. Right, but they're, they're hearing these ideas, they want to hear more, and that's why they ultimately press Paul to, to hear more about this God. Because, you know, they want to see if this God's worthy of their praise. If he's worthy of an altar. But they have all these gods. And Paul starts talking about Jesus. They get confused. They're like, well, this is weird. Because what you're telling us about Jesus is that Jesus died for us, but none of our gods have died for us. You're telling us that Jesus rose again from the grave to raise us all into a new life, and none of our gods have done that for us. You, like, they're, they're looking at Paul and they're like, you mean to tell me that you serve a God who loves you back? Who wants to do things for you? We don't, we don't have that here. And they get curious about this additional God that they've never heard about. And so they ask for further explanation. And Paul gets up in front of everyone. And as you see in Acts 17, verses 20 through 23, this is how he starts off. 
says, people of Athens, I see that in every way you are religious. Excuse me, you're very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I, found an, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. So you're ignorant of the very thing that you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. And then he starts talking about God. Now, just in these two verses, 22 and 23, I have three things to help you share the gospel effectively. Sometimes sharing the gospel can be a little awkward. It can be intimidating. And I know this because I was the quiet kid who didn't want to talk to anyone. So it, it was a little bit like that, and I felt very unprepared. And really what it came down to was that I wasn't confident. I wasn't confident that I could actually do that. I thought that I'd have to get a degree before I would go and share the gospel with people. So I waited, I got a degree, and now I'm more confused than I was then about the Bible. But it gave, I, I needed to get that confidence. And for some of you, you might not have the confidence. Now you, you might say, well, I have confidence. I can talk to people. But then I would ask you the question, when was the last time that you shared the gospel with someone? And maybe some of you would be like, well, it's been a while. Well, it's because it's awkward. For some reason, we've made this an awkward experience to share the gospel, to share the love of Christ with people. I really think that at the root of it, we're not confident to answer the questions that they might ask. Not that they do ask, what they might ask. And yes, it doesn't matter what level of degree you have, someone is going to ask a question that you don't know off the top of your head. That's why you go back. That's why you continue to build the relationship with them. That's why you go in Scripture. That's why you study Scripture so that you can answer some of those questions. But if you don't have the confidence, then you'll feel unprepared. You'll feel unqualified. You'll say things like, well, that's the pastor's job. That's what the pastor's supposed to do. He has the training for that. And you'll be shying away from the opportunities that God is giving you daily to share the gospel with the lost. So, to help your confidence some, I have three things that Paul does to share the gospel and ultimately leads to some of the Athenians getting saved. Here's number one. Listen to hear, not to respond. Listen to hear, not to respond. In verse 23, Paul talks about how he walked around before this moment. He walked around and he observed and he carefully looked at all of their objects of worship. What this means is that he observed their lifestyle. He probably during these moments saw people going and giving offerings at these altars, praising their gods, you know, praying to their gods, whatever it was. He saw people walk into their altars and as he walked around, he listened to them to see where they were coming from, to understand why they believe what they believe. What you'll find earlier in the passage is that Paul will even say, he, or Luke will say that Paul reasoned with them. He, he talked to them. He had a conversation with them. When I, and when you think about it, these people had so many gods, and Paul had to really push the fact that this is the only true God, that all the gods that you've been worshipped, they might be a god to you because you're worshipping them instead of the one true God, but they're not real. They don't exist. Basically what you're doing is you're worshiping God's creation and you're putting a name and you're putting a face and you're putting an image to it and that's not what God wants. 
But he, during these moments, while he was listening to hear, he listened for God to give him a way to connect with him. Listening to hear and listening to respond are very different. They're two different things. You have to listen closely, right? So listen to hear in this moment. Listening to hear is listening to understand why they believe what they believe so that you can respond with what you believe. Listening to respond is letting them talk so that you can tell them what you think. You hear the difference? Listening to hear is all about building a relationship with someone. Hearing what they have to say about why they believe what they believe. And then you, in response, since they've opened up, since they've talked to you, you then tell them what you believe and you have a conversation about it. Listening to respond means that I have prepared in my mind, this is exactly what I'm going to say to this person whenever I encounter them. But because I, I heard that we're supposed to ask a question first, I'm going to ask the question, you know, what do you believe is the meaning of life? Something like that. Something like robotic, like this is, this is what pastor told me to, to say. So, you know, you start saying that and then they tell you what they believe and you're like, but I, I have a better God. You know, like that's, that's listening to respond because you didn't hear why they believe. You didn't, it, they could have said anything and you would have still given the same exact response that's the difference between responding and hearing if paul listened to respond he wouldn't have looked at their idols he wouldn't have walked around he would have walked right in there and said you guys need to believe this god because he created the heavens of earth heavens and earth he he created all of you he sent his son to die for you and to rise again so that you could have a new life with him and you just need to believe this. You need to believe what I'm telling you is true. And probably that wouldn't have worked very well. Because they would have given all of the different philosophical arguments to Paul. And they would have just been arguing. And then they would have left and separated. And the Athenians still would have believed in their gods. And Paul still would have believed in our God. Listening to hear gave them a chance to express themselves. And it gave Paul, and it gives us, the opportunity to gain something that is called, wait for it, empathy and understanding. When you empathize and you understand someone, you're more likely to build an unbreakable type of connection with someone. It, it opens up a, an, a moment of vulnerability. And, and during that vulnerability, that's when you share, hey, there's, there's something great about what you're doing, but here's a better way. And that leads me to number two, respecting them. Paul respected who they were and what they did. After you let them know, uh, after you've listened to hear, you let them know that you actually heard them. Right? Listening to respond doesn't give you that because you're, you're responding with your with whatever you've had in your mind, of this is what I'm going to say. And listening to hear, you're actually understanding them. You're like, man, I, I see exactly where you're coming from. Paul says, I see how very religious you are. And, and in that sense, it's a good thing, right? It's good to be religious. Now, I know if you're a super Christian in here, you're like, well, 
Isn't it a relationship, not a religion? I get it. It is a relationship, but there are religious aspects to our relationship. Let me explain for just a second before you jump on me and say, you know, we're going all the way back to religion after we've worked so hard to make it a relationship. It's still a relationship. The religious part of our relationship with Christ does not save us. What organized religion, which is what Jesus was against, organized religion is I'm going to do these things, I'm going to act a certain way so that I'm saved. A relational type of relationship, which is what we have with Christ, is God came and he saved me, and because he saved me, I'm going to act religiously. I'm going to act a certain way because he saved me, because he's changing me from the inside out. So I'm going to act a certain way. I'm going to talk a certain way. Organized religion flips it. Christ flips it the other way. That's why he was against organized religion because it pushes you have to act and look and be a certain way to be saved. And Christ said, no, I'm against that idea. You act and believe and look a certain way because of what I've already done for you. So yes, we are religious in a sense. And Paul saw this. He's like, man, it, it's so great to see you being so religious. You're so very religious, and, and, and I love that. Paul is complimenting them on their devotion. Because to follow God, to take up your cross and follow him, takes devotion. In our day and age, you might see it this way, because I don't know very many that, around here at least, that actually believe in Greek, Greek mythology. Like, I don't know of any followers of Zeus around here. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I just don't see it a lot. But, I mean, and there is polytheism, but what I see more of is these gods that we don't really call gods because we've, you know, it's not really, it can be a good thing, but it's not really a good thing if it takes all of your focus. And, you know, I, I'm going to just jump on it, but bear with me. I'm not against this, but sports. I'm not against it. Like, I love sports. I, I was a sports guy. I miss Sunday morning services because of sports. So, don't think that I'm just like, you know, if you're not here on a Sunday morning, you should be doing stuff throughout your week. Like, let's just be honest about it. We should gather on Sunday, but it's not just on Sunday that we should be seeking God and seeking community with one another. Anyways, off my soapbox. So, what this conversation might look like is, wow, I love how devoted you are to your team. I love how devoted you are to your kids. I love how devoted you are to your spouse, to your family. I love how you are just so devoted to this thing. And it's great that you're devoted to these things. But if you spend all of your time and energy on this thing, you're not going to be focusing on something so much better. This is what Paul is doing. He's saying it's great that you're so devoted to all of these guys, that you have all of these things. But there's something so much better for you. There's, so much, there's something so much better waiting for you to just pursue him. Now, you likely in your life, I'm just making an assumption, that you like it when people understand you and they acknowledge that they understand you. If you don't, 
what planet are you from? Like, I, I don't know of a single person that is like, I don't want to be understood ever. And I, I don't want people to like me. There's not very many people out there that are like that. Now, as far as being understood, Chloe might perceive it sometimes that I don't want to be understood, but I do, right? It's all about the way that we communicate. But people want that, and if you want that, then other people are going to want it too, and that's why it's so good to listen to hear and to respect them, to let them know that you heard what they were saying. When you also do that, it clears up any miscommunication. I'm sorry, Chloe, I kind of threw you under the bus right there. I do the same thing with her, so, you know, there we are, throw myself under the bus. But everyone wants to be heard and understood. Respecting them and listening to hear gives them that opportunity. Which leads to the last thing. Every time that anyone shares the gospel with anyone, there's always, number three, a call to repentance. A call to repentance. The transitional phrase that Paul uses after he moves from listening and respecting is found in the last part of verse 23. You're so ignorant of the very thing you worship, this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. Now that might sound a little harsh, but some of you probably need to be a little harsh with some people. Once again, it all depends on how we communicate. Some people need to be hurt, like they need to be spoken to bluntly. Others, they need this all surrounding thing so that they can understand. But to put it into other words, what Paul is saying is, look, yeah, you have an idol to a God that you don't know. So you don't even know what you're talking about. You don't even know who you're worshiping. I have a better way for you. This is who you should worship. Instead of worshiping all these gods and then just having this altar because you don't know if there's any other gods, here, I'm going to show you. I have something so much better because it's a solid foundation and I know exactly who I'm worshiping all the time. It's God. And then he calls them to repent. Now repentance sometimes I think is misused. It's mistaken of sometimes, and this is going to be a graphic image, so this is kind of an extreme, but people still hold to this idea that repentance is taking someone by the neck and then just baptizing the the sin out of them. Just We're going to keep on baptizing. If you're anything like Mitchell when he's practicing baptism, you just hold him under there a little bit longer. <laughs> and then you pick it. Like, that's not repentance. Repentance is not forceful. It comes from the heart. What repentance in its just simple definition is, is you're turning to God. Right? Listen, turning to God, which inevitably means that you're turning away from something else but you're turning to God because you know that he has something that's better for you, right? So if, if I'm looking at my sin and I'm so involved in my sin, repentance would say, God, God would say, turn to me. And when I turn, yes, I'm looking away, but the true heart of repentance is you're not looking away so much as you're looking towards God. Because God is going to lead you to something better. He has something better for you. Repentance leads to a transformed heart by the grace of God. But here's the thing. Paul didn't force them to repent. He didn't change their heart. He simply took his role as the messenger of the gospel. And not everyone liked it, and not everyone believed. Some, as it would say, uh, they, 
I don't remember exactly what it said, the word that it used, but they basically they disagreed with him. They're like, well, this guy's crazy. But then other people were like, well, you know, I, maybe this makes sense. I want to learn more about it. Some outright rejected it, but others leaned a little bit closer. And if it happened to Paul, it's okay if it happens to you too. Not everyone is going to believe when you tell them. And you may seem like a failure, may seem like a failure because, you know, you shared the gospel over and over and they're just not getting it. They're not getting it. They're not getting it. But you did what God called you to do, to share the gospel with the world. And that's when you start praying for that person. But I need, you, I need to warn you before you leave today. Because when you start sharing the gospel with people, through time, they will start believing. They will be saved. And you will be waging war on the principalities and powers of hell, and they will stop at nothing to destroy you. I would love for you to just share the gospel and be perfectly fine, but there's another power that's going to come and try and destroy you and discourage you from ever sharing the gospel again. And if you aren't prepared, and if you don't rely on God, then you will be destroyed. So you need to rely on God through it all to know that I'm not the one that's saving that person. It's because I'm, I'm using my role as a messenger. I'm praying for them. But God ultimately is the one that's going to change their heart. Because all of this is about giving glory to God. Sharing the gospel is not for our benefit. It's not for us to say, hey, look, we did a thing. Hey, look, I, I shared to... 5,000 people, right? Do I get a prize? No, because it's to give God glory. It's not for you. It's for their soul, for their salvation, and to glorify God. And one of the best ways that you can glorify God is sharing the gospel with someone who doesn't know him. But if you cling to that, if you cling to God's glory, then he will protect you. And I want to show you this because a couple chapters later, Acts chapter 19, this crazy story that happens. Paul has now made his way to Ephesus. And Luke writes that God did extraordinary miracles through Paul to the point that Paul was carrying around these handkerchiefs and these aprons, which is likely just like a, a covering or a, a sweat rag or something. And they would take it from him and give it to the sick and the sick would be healed because they, had, they touched the rag. Just like uh, if you think about when Jesus' time where the woman came and touched the hem of Jesus' garment and, he, and she was healed. It's the same type of reflection of that, but this actually happened. It's not just some made-up fairy tale story. People were actually healed because they touched something that touched Paul because he had Christ so full in himself. And we see those things, and oftentimes we make the mistake of saying, Paul did such great things. But Scripture is very clear. God did extraordinary things through Paul. It was always about God. It was always about what God did through one of his most faithful vessels. But the Jews mentioned a few verses down, they didn't see that. They saw Paul did these amazing things because he proclaimed the name of Jesus, so we're going to try it too. Now these Jews were, um, as Luke will write, son of, uh, son of a chief priest. And if you thought I was going to cuss there, I'm sorry. That was... That was kind of quick. Um, I don't say those words, but they were sons of a chief priest. And this chief priest 
uh, or all of these sons, they would often go and uh, cast out evil spirits. Right, to kind of put it as the Bible puts it. They would cast out evil spirits. And so when they would encounter one, they made a living doing this. It was all about the money. It was all about their own glory. And oftentimes, since they were so involved in Greek culture, they would, ca- they would cast out these evil spirits in the name of all of these different gods. And oftentimes, what scholars will say is that these people, they would li- just have like a list of gods, and they'd go through hoping that one of those gods would cast out this evil spirit. And it worked. For a while. And as they're doing this, they're making money, they're making a living. This is how they're being uh, profitable. And they went out to go drive out some spirits. And they're like, well, we've heard about this Jesus. We've seen Paul do it. We've seen how many miracles he's done. Let's try Jesus' name. So they try to use the name of Jesus. While they were doing this, this evil spirit says, I know who Jesus is. I know who Paul is. Who are you? And when he did that, after he said that, said that spirit sprung on him, beat them up so much that they ran away wounded, naked. Now, I don't know much about fighting because I don't have very much fighting experience as far as like physical fist fight. Don't have any experience in that. But if you walk into a house fully clothed, and you leave that house completely naked, you lost. (laughs) I don't care who you are, you lost. You lost that battle. Why did they lose so bad? It was because it was for their own gain. It was for money. They didn't know Christ personally. That's why they said, this Jesus guy who Paul preaches about, they know who he was. They wanted the same power that Paul received from God, so they had to clarify which Jesus they were talking about. We want the Jesus that Paul's been preaching about. And the evil spirit looks at them and says, you're not a threat to me. I don't know who you are. You clearly don't have Christ in you. And I will destroy you for thinking that you're so arrogant to come in here and think that you can cast me out. They weren't a threat and that's why the spirit didn't know them. Paul was a threat to Satan because he relentlessly shared the gospel with people. The apostles were threats to Satan because they relentlessly shared the gospel with people and they were willing to suffer for it. And I love what happens in the next few verses. It says, uh, and starting verse 17 of chapter 19, when this became known to the Jews and the Greeks living in Ephesus, that these, these sons of the chief priest were beaten so silly that they left the house unclothed it became known throughout Ephesus and they were seized with fear and the name of the Lord Jesus was held in high honor. Many of those who believed now came to openly confess what they had done. A number who had practiced sorcery brought their scrolls together and burned them publicly and when they calculated the value of the scrolls, the total came to 50,000 drachmas. In this way, the word of the Lord spread widely and grew in power. I want you to see what's happening here. Whenever people started sharing the gospel relentlessly, whenever people saw the power that God had done through Paul, and people heard about what happens when you don't have Christ and you're trying to mimic the same things, people laid down their lifestyles. These sorcerers who are probably casting out the same type of spirits and making a living doing this, 
They said, we don't want these scrolls anymore. We don't believe in this witchcraft anymore. We don't believe in these things anymore. We're setting these aside. We're going to burn them even though they're worth 50,000 drachmas. It's our entire life that we're burning. We're destroying because we want to follow Christ now. And I can tell you, I've seen it in churches and I believe that we can see here where people lay down their drugs on the altar. Where people lay down their pornography addictions. Where people lay down every sinful way in their life that's been holding them captive. They say, God, I don't want it anymore. I don't want to see it anymore. I don't want it to take captive of me anymore. And if you think for a second that that can't happen here, you're wrong. Because God is doing something amazing in us so that we can go and reach the people that need it the most. That in a few years or even this year, we will see people walking up and leaving their packs of cigarettes, leaving their their empty bottles, leaving all of these drugs behind here and saying, I'm no longer going to be captive of this anymore. I'm going to stand for Christ from now on because I've seen how He works in this community and I've seen how He's worked in my life and I don't want it anymore. And church, I'm telling you, we're going to see that. People laying down their addiction, laying down their hurt, laying down their pain, giving up their destructive lives for the Lord. We're going to see marriages restored. We're going to see families restored. We're going to see illnesses healed and people living the abundant life that Christ has called them to. And church, I stand here today saying that we are going to see all of those things, but we have to have some radical faithfulness to the Lord. And we have to believe not only that God can do it, but He's going to do it. And that leads me to the challenge that I have for you this week to supplement your reading. You'll see it throughout the book of Acts. Fasting and praying. Praying and fasting. When I say fasting, food is the thing that we think of the most. And if it's food for you, that's great. If it's not, find something else. You can fast from Facebook. You can fast from social media. You can fast from your phone. You can fast from eating sugar, from snacking, from sleeping in. I I don't know what you're going to fast from, but that needs to be something that you feel like you can't live without. And I would encourage you to fast a couple days, to fast all seven days for this coming week and pray. You see, the thing with fasting is that there's a lot of power in it that we really don't talk about because we don't like to talk about fasting because we, we love our food. And we're like, well, if I have to give up food, I don't know if I want to give up food, right? Because God's been doing some amazing things while I've still been eating. So why do I need to give up food too? Right? I, I know it. I've been there. I, I know exactly what you mean. But there's a lot of power in coming before God and saying, I'm willing to suffer. I'm willing to give something up that right now is giving me life, that's feeding me. Right? If you think that Facebook or other social media isn't feeding you, it's feeding your, your mental mind. Because there's news. There's, there's posts. There's all these other things. And so you're saying, I'm going to give up one of my life sources Something in my life that I, I'm maybe even addicted to. Maybe it's something that, you know, you just, you feel like if you don't check it or if you don't do it or if you don't see it in the morning, 
then you're just, you're, you're not going to be able to have a good day. Something like that. Food is the easiest example because it literally does give us life. Right? It gives us nourishment. And it's saying, I'm supplementing the nourishment that your creation has given me so that you can be that supplement for me. And there's a lot of power when you come before God for an extended period of time saying, hey, this is what I'm going to do for you. And I'm praying because I believe that something great is going to happen in my life and in my church. When we watched in amazement at the Asbury University revival, they had nonstop revival for like two weeks, 24-7 every single day. It's not exactly practical for us who have... Uh, or aren't college kids and you know uh, I don't necessarily have kids but we've got one on the way but if you have kids you're not necessarily going to have the practical thing of going and sitting for 24 hours straight for two weeks straight right it's not always going to be realistic for us and in your life because God is still practical he understands you he knows you he knows that you have responsibilities. He's not telling you to quit your job so that we can have a revival here for two weeks. But we watched in amazement as this university had it. You know how it started? A group of students who met regularly and fasted and prayed for a revival to come back to their university. And I don't know how long it took, but those same students after that chapel service that was mandatory for everyone on campus they said we're going to stay here and we're going to pray i i heard one say that they had been fasting for a little bit and they decided to just stay there and pray for just a little bit and as they prayed more people started flooding in the presence of god filled up that place with peacefulness and calm to the point to where so many people came and they didn't want to leave and I saw so many Christians say, I want to see that happen in our church. But I think there's so many Christians that want to see it, but they're not willing to fast and pray for it. Because they think that God can do it, they think that he will do it, but they're not showing God that they, they want to see it happen. So I encourage you, I challenge you, as you read through God's word this week, fast and pray. Fast from something even if it's just for a couple days, and expect to see a move of God this weekend. This coming weekend, we've got our community worship night. Be fasting and praying for that. We've got a baptism Sunday the very next day. Be fasting and praying for that. And I'm telling you, the presence of God will rest on this place and you won't want to leave.